what do you want to da da da? I don't know. What do y'all think we should da da da? Well, what did we da yesterday? Hmm, yesterday. All the dolls feel like the same doll these dolls. I know. Like, is today Monday or Tuesday? Today is Thursday. Oh no, I forgot to call my mom on her birthday. Oh no! No! These days, nothing is normal and everything is weird. But you could still save big when you switch to Progressive. That won't change. Not to da or any da. Quote to da at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the Inside Line Formula One podcast. Well, 16 episodes of the Inside Line F1 podcast, zero races in Formula One yet. That's the score for the 2020 F1 season in case you guys needed one. Yeah, Kunal, we've been discussing Formula One's attempts to race in 2020. We've talked about that a lot. So let's not go down that road again. Sure. Uh, The only thing we should talk about is that Formula One has finally put a date out there to start 2020. Guys, it's the 3rd of July. It's the Friday of the Austrian Grand Prix. You know, honestly, if we race in Austria in July... Helmets off to Liberty Media for making it happen despite all the obstacles that they can't even possibly foresee right now. But guys, in this episode, we will talk about how Formula One imposing a low budget cap, you know, in the recent future. Yeah, low by Ferrari standards, you mean? Yes, so yes, low by Ferrari standards. So (laughs) that low budget cap might just trigger Ferrari to race in other series, right? And uh, it's not just me, it's Mattia Binotto. He said, and I quote, we would not want to be put in a position of having to look at other further options for deploying our racing DNA. Wow. Such well, a complicated way of yeah. saying, hey, me, we might just race elsewhere. I had to wrap my <laughs> head around that. Well, Kunal, I am not making decisions for Ferrari, but actually running a works team in different series, well, maybe that could be awesome for the racing DNA and for all of motorsport, really. I agree. I mean, I would love to see Ferrari in Formula E. And in this week's episode of the Inside Line F1 podcast, we discuss Ferrari's exclusivity with Formula One. Uh, You know, one of the key reasons why they do not compete in Formula E or any other premier single-seater racing series in the world. We're going to give you guys a quick update on the virtual Grand Prix. Uh, There are new drivers joining every hour, literally. It better be a quick update. A very quick one. And Kunal, I also want to discuss the Toro Wolf-Lewis Hamilton interview with Martin Brundle. Right, and uh, Zach Brown has been making some interesting suggestions for Formula One to consider. In terms of the 2020 season, we will discuss Brown's suggestions. Awesome, and Lucien brings us a review of the classic 1989 Australian Grand Prix. It was an epic wet race and he'd attended it in Adelaide. But before we get going, here's a request for you to leave us a review and a rating on whatever app you're listening to us on. And especially a big thank you to Wamsi. Thank you for your good recommendation on our Facebook page. Guys, we're the Inside Line F1 podcast on Facebook. And also on our Facebook page, we host the Pole Position Show. It's a live chat on all things Formula One. And it has a Formula Fun quiz every Sunday at 8 8 o'clock Indian Standard Time or 430 European standard time, right? So you guys are very welcome to all tune in and join the fun. 
Awesome. Gunal, you know, our long introduction makes me wonder if this is how Formula One drivers feel during the formation lap of the race, you know. It's, <laughs> it's like the race start is just a few moments away, but you have to go all around, circle about, get all warmed up and line, down, line up for the start again. Yes, but you, we all know how important the formation lap is to a Formula One race, like getting systems checked and I've just checked the audio levels are fine, getting our excitement levels up and I'm sure you guys are all excited. So let's get to business. Fantastic. So Ferrari, Formula One and exclusivity. Um, it's 2020 and really if it were up to me, Kunal, I would love for Ferrari to be racing in every premier or single-seater racing category in the world. Well, you know, the counterpoint being that if I were Liberty Media, I'm not sure if I would be happy or pleased if my marquee team wanted to go racing elsewhere in the world of motorsport after being committed to me, right? But uh, let's break it down uh, because it will give us, uh, you know, a chance to understand how we've actually landed up here. Well, it's interesting because Ferrari, they're the only team in the paddock to have competed in all Formula One races till date. So that's massive. I mean, if you want to watch a works Ferrari team race, you have to watch Formula One. Uh, you can't see Ferrari race in like Formula E or IndyCar or the likes. It's only and only Formula One. And it is for this privilege that Formula One pays Ferrari extra money. As we all know it as the historic bonus and has given Ferrari the power to veto a rule change in the sport, right? So basically, Ferrari were like, hey, if we're committing everything of our racing resources to Formula One, we won't let Formula One introduce a rule that will ruin Formula One and hence Ferrari. So. Yeah, sure. And there are these other political reasons behind the veto as well, uh, you know, and how it came into being in the 1980s. But let's just keep that aside for the sake of this discussion. Yeah, so that's the short of why Ferrari are exclusive to Formula One and the benefits they get in return. And cut to 2020. So Formula One, they're using this whole corona pandemic, uh, you know, to correct their business model. Uh, this, of course, includes introducing a cost cap for the teams. A much-needed cost cap. Much-needed. Yes. Uh, the initial number, we also discussed this on our podcast previously, it was $175 million per year. And then it was revised to $145 million per year. Uh, of course, there are, there's a further uh, reduction in the season to follow to $130 million. Uh, again, none of this is confirmed. These are just numbers being discussed. Yeah, I think we should just raise at like $5 million a year. Since everyone throwing, everyone's throwing a number, <laughs> I, I'm throwing one You're as well. You're lowballing them. <laughs> yeah, you know, who can go lower than Zach Brown? But uh, so that's exactly, I mean, on a serious note, that's where Ferrari seem to have a problem with these numbers that are constantly being reduced. And Ferrari are saying, hey, can we seek a two-tier budget cap, you know, one for the customer teams such as Haas and a second for the manufacturer teams such as Ferrari themselves, you know. And Ferrari's reasoning is that they will spend uh, their budget on R&D and race operations, which will, you know, basically mean that they will run their Formula One team, but they will also develop components which would benefit their F1 team and their customers, right? So the concern that Ferrari have here is that if we get a flat budget cap, which is say $130 million dollars, that actually might give them as a works team lesser to spend than, say, a customer team, right? So a customer team could actually get more competitive. And I think Ferrari's concerns, especially when it comes to such 
logical two-tier budgeting those concerns seem fair at least in this case it does seem fair even to me and in fact it's been reported that the FIA and the FOM uh, they're working on a solution to this unique problem and there may be an announcement like next week or thereabouts and uh, like Otmar said I really hope that Formula One manages to you know equally upset everyone or keep everyone equally happy yeah and this may not be because Ferrari are suddenly afraid of being challenged they've been challenged you know in Formula One for the last seven odd years as we know this is the 70th year of formula one yeah i get this feeling that ferrari just gets upset you know every time they don't receive this special royal treatment from formula one well unfortunately that's the feeling i get as well uh you know special treatment especially when it comes to the administration and governance and commercialization of the sport so to say there seems like this air of entitlement to ferrari if you know i may say it at the risk of pissing off a lot of people listening in Yeah, and Kunal, this makes me actually wonder: Would Formula One lose much if Ferrari decides to be non-exclusive and uh, you know race in other series as well? And let's hope Liberty Media are asking themselves this question as well. I think it's an important question. Let's discuss it. Indeed, and. Personally, I would think not. Um, in fact, Mattia Binotto said that their decision to race in another series it could just be down to human resources reasons because uh, under Italian law they can't fire people. So maybe well, just reallocate you know, them. I'm glad you said that because first things first, Ferrari should actually clarify if their racing in other series is down to HR reasons, like you said, or if they worry. of competition from customer teams because it sounds like a bit of both to me it does i also hear these two reasons yes but uh, let's see this from liberty media's point of view right because all along there's been this belief ferrari is formula 1 formula 1 is ferrari like the most marquee team ever the, the the most historic brand ever in the sport right and in the earlier era fans bought formula 1 tickets to watch ferrari race at least that's what you know we've been told that's what we've grown up to the legend of ferrari right But in this modern day setup of Formula One, uh, I wonder if you know this setup is built around a single team only. And personally, I think not. I think not too. And in fact, let's ask the moot question: If Ferrari does decide to race in other series, will it really impact Formula One? Like, will lesser fans visit the races, or will fans pay less? Or will, or, they just or will, the will sponsors pay Formula One less because Ferrari races elsewhere? Yeah, I mean, and again, I'm not sure because there's no data to prove any of these answers. But that, that's really a crucial point. Yeah, about. that's a crucial point because every time there is a conflict uh, of opinion or there's a debate in this case. There'll be people who, you know, happily present both sides of the view and stick to theirs. But the truth is, we don't know either because it's been seventy years or thereabouts since something like this happened, right? But could letting Ferrari race in other series actually benefit Formula One? That's also something we should think about because you know this exclusivity has somewhat become a liability of sorts. So you know, as the seasons have passed. and if anything at least from ferrari's point of view they might benefit commercially you know by having greater exposure to existing sponsors right honestly i don't think other series would pay ferrari as handsomely as formula 1 does just to go racing yeah in fact i wonder if this is why ferrari isn't committing to formula e you know But frankly that's the one series I would want Ferrari to go racing in. I mean Formula E has all the major car manufacturers one can think of. You know and I wonder if and how many manufacturers would pull out after the pandemic not just from Formula E but even from Formula 1 and other forms of motorsport. Like for example Audi has already announced pulling out of the DTM series and they said that they will concentrate their efforts and investments 
on their Formula E operations. Yeah, gosh, Kunal, that's another thing because Ferrari's uh, defiance of the budget cap, it doesn't take into account the economic impact of the virus. True. I mean, there's a rumor that Ferrari might agree to lower numbers by 2023. I mean, but hey, what if there are just fewer teams on the grid then? I mean, what's the point of saving Formula One if it's already been reduced to bits because, you know, teams cannot afford to Bullseye. race. And this is where I think we should bring up uh, Zach Brown's idea for Formula One for 2020. Uh, I have been impressed by Brown's approach. You know, his statements have been measured, sharp. It seems like, uh, you know, uh, he knows his business of Formula One, which is, of course, obvious, right? And uh, he, it, it also comes from a person who's sort of expecting and wants to prepare Formula One for the worst for when the pandemic ends. And that's sort of, that's sort of my approach as well, you know, preparing for the worst. Uh, so he is basically pushing the sport, uh, you know, to make right decisions, even if they are the harder decisions to make. So thank you, Zach. Indeed. And uh, Zach Brown wants a $100 million budget cap. Yeah, I mean, along with helping the teams... Uh, a lower budget cap would also help the drivers. Like it would ward off the threat of uh, pay drivers taking up seats just because, you know, the teams need more money to yeah. go racing. Kunal, this is exactly what uh, Kevin Magnussen said a few days ago. Uh, he said that pay drivers could actually take up seats in Formula One after the pandemic, exactly for economic reasons. And that's probably what has happened after the, you know, the... Uh, economic crisis that we saw in 2008, 2009 and there on. Lots of pay drivers came in then. But uh, you guys can actually go Google that because that's what I did. I don't want to name the drivers as few on the list, right? But Zach Brown made another suggestion, one that I'm not entirely in favor of. He suggested that for the 2020 Formula One championships, Formula One should sort of take the best races out of all uh, from a from a championship consideration point of view. Yeah, that's interesting because this rule existed in Formula One, what, many seasons, years ago. And in fact, it still exists in Junior Formula. True, right. So what it means is if there are 10 races in the season, hypothetically, the championship uh, would take into account only, uh, you know, your best eight results from those 10 races or whatever the number is eventually decided, right? So uh, Brown's recommendation, interestingly, we should keep this in mind. It, it, it comes from the fact that a team may or may not be permitted to travel to a race thanks to the pandemic. And that's where it comes from. It actually sounds logical to me, Kunal. Uh, even more so for McLaren, because they had pulled out of the 2020 Australian Grand Prix even before Formula One cancelled the race. True. Uh, but in case we all needed to be reminded. Yeah, in yes. case you missed it. <laughs> but I wonder how this makes sense for Formula One. Like, if they're unable to guarantee a certain number of cars or, you know, uh, a certain number of teams performing, uh, even for the local promoters if some of the key teams don't show up like how does that go yeah it doesn't make too much sense but before we move on from brown and mclaren here's more from kevin magnuson right he is my most favorite danish driver i must say (laughs) (laughs) but uh, kevin magnuson hasn't ruled out the possibility of returning to mclaren in the future in fact he said that he might even go to renault i don't know if renault will be there around or the sorts but it's good, you know, U-turns in Formula 1, we know how it's it's very common. Yeah, frankly, Kunal, I think that's just how it's going to be. Uh, you know, after the virus, drivers are just going to have to think on their feet and literally just race anywhere uh, where an opportunity presents itself. Yes, but most importantly, and this is one of the biggest reasons why I love Kevin Magnussen, he said that he's not interested in virtual racing and he prefers 
the real thing. Thank you, Kevin. Well, well. Uh, by the way, Valtteri Bottas has a new sim, as does uh, Sebastian Vettel. Kunal, it's like new drivers are joining this whole virtual racing scene every single day. Uh, in fact, I think we should do a which driver has joined virtual racing this week uh, section every episode. Well, I mean, okay. I kid you not, there are so many of them. Okay, let's do it. You know, these sections are anyway your brainchild, like the ever popular what will said this week section. Oh, that's my favorite. In fact, we're going to have that section just a few minutes from now, guys. So it's safe. stay tuned for that. Right. So back to which new driver has joined uh, sim racing this week. That's a section, right? Uh, the most interesting addition for me is Peter Solberg or Peter Sulberg, as we, you know, as the Nordics would pronounce it, right? The former World Rally champion. Uh, he'll be racing for Renault uh, in the Dutch Virtual Grand Prix. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to see him at the wheel again. Yeah, by the way, Lewis Hamilton has a sim too, uh, but I doubt he'll be joining anytime soon. I mean, he's pretty happy playing Gran Turismo. I have never personally played GD, but I know that Lewis Hamilton is present in the game as a character. Well, I have never played GT as well, but I really wonder if Lewis Hamilton, when he plays GT, does he actually, you know, in his uh, uh, in in his gameplay, actually does he? interact with his game self as well like, <laughs> I don't know. like i don't know how narcissistic that would be but that's pretty awkward. you know lewis the real lewis playing uh, you know having fun with the lewis in the game i don't know okay let's see oh uh, by the way let's talk about lando norris finally he's literally the alonzo of virtual racing you know by the time this pandemic ends Lando Norris would probably be the first driver in the history to have completed in online races across all categories of all wheelers. Like the number of wheels is limited to our imagination. That's what Lando Norris's CV will hold. Absolutely, Kunal. I couldn't agree more. In fact, uh, Lando claimed pole and then he won the IndyCar virtual race as well. I'm not I'm, surprised. Yeah, I wonder if MotoGP is next for him or maybe even Formula E. Alex Mack, one of our listeners, tweeted to me online and she said that could Lando Norris become the first driver ever to claim the E Triple Crown of motorsport? Wow! Wow! We actually drivers could just create these terms and go racing in these you know virtual series. Uh, maybe Fernando would do that <laughs> at some point, given how much he's obsessed with the Triple Crown of motorsport, right? But uh, here's the only thing I absolutely like about virtual racing. It is allowing drivers from different series to race each other, you know, uh, in the virtual world. Something that's uh, not as easily possible in the real world. So thank you, virtual racing. That's the last time you'll hear me say something good about that. Right? <laughs> okay, great. So final points on this podcast. We have the What Wolf Said This Week section. And uh, I'm going to refer to the Wolf uh, Lou, uh, uh, and uh, Hamilton interview that Martin Brundle hosted a few days ago. And Wolf was making specific references to how Mercedes' F1 team has made the parent brand, uh, you know, more sporty and delivered billions in advertising value, etc. Yes, I remember that. And he also said that he would skip more races in 2020. Now, my question to you, Toto, is how have you decided which races to skip if we do not know the calendar of the year yet. I have no <laughs> or how many races we have for that matter. Yeah, I mean, what if we have eight races and you decided to skip, hey, I'll do only, you know, 12 races this year. <laughs> Does that mean Toto Wolf will not turn up at any of the races in 2020? We're joking, guys. But yeah, but Kunal, I really uh, wonder why Toto Wolf publicly expressed what the F1 team has delivered to the parent brand. Like, is it some sort of, you know, wheeled message to the brand or is he just making yeah. a point? Yeah, that's a damn good catch because... 
you know, that does raise a lot of interesting questions, especially when you think of it in terms of how Wolf has invested into Aston Martin and, you know, so on, right? But I'll, I'll be honest, all I want to ask Toto Wolf and Mercedes specifically is, you know, in that $4.5 billion advertising valuation, how much has come from the Inside Line F1 podcast? Because we've had episodes and episodes talking about how great Mercedes have been in the hybrid turbo era, right? We need to know. We deserve to know. (laughs) Yeah, so much so that Lucien has labeled me pro-Hamilton. He thinks I can't think beyond Lewis Hamilton when it comes to driving talent. I vouch for the fact that it's not true, but yes. But speaking of Lucien, uh, Lucien, over to you for a review of one of the classic races of the 1980s. It's the 1989 Australian Grand Prix. Uh, it was a race that he attended in real life and uh, he saw, saw the race from the start-finish straight. The 1989 Australian Grand Prix in Adelaide and I was there by the start-finish line on the pit straight. To set the scene, it is remembered firstly for the animosity between Alain Prost and Ayrton Senna after their coming together in Japan the fortnight before where Senna took a big risk lunging from possibly too far back but with Prost making a dodgy half-attempt at closing the door taking them both out temporarily. Now, as a Prost fan, I was convinced it was all centre at the time, but Prost moved much like Schumacher did in Jerez 97. The atmosphere was electric, for Senna came to Adelaide as the wounded victim while Prost was the new world champion, pending an appeal over the Japanese result. And also, which most people forget, Senna had to win in Adelaide to overturn the title positions. Senna was all over the press, crying foul, stating that God shows him the way, etc, etc. It was all a bit extreme really, but made great TV and enlarged the already huge interest in the feud. On the Friday, in front of me, Nigel Mansell in the number 27 Ferrari was first out on track. That car was gorgeous. Prost drew first blood in qualifying, but it was on the Saturday that Senna did his usual, taking pole and making Prost look tame. The scene was set, Senna needed to win and also to have an appeal go his way for being stripped of victory in Japan for a slim chance to be world champ. But race day weather gave a torrential downpour. It was so bad that Frostberger and others all tried to get the race delayed or stopped. Yet it was Senna who gave the world one of the most iconic images of himself ever seen. As everyone else was running around flapping their wings, stressing out, Senna sat motionless in his car the whole time, fixated with revenge and with a point to prove, regardless of how dangerous it was. After all, he was the rainmaster. Winning was all that mattered. It was a picture of pure concentration, focus and determination that only Senna could take to that level. So, to the race. It eventually started in the heavy rain, with Prost taking Senna on down the main straight, but yielding wisely, as Senna was not going to. After one lap, to my horror, Prost pulled in the pits and retired. It was all about safety. He was concerned and he remembered Peroni having a severe accident in the rain years back. And possibly in hindsight, Prost was the wisest driver there, as Nelson Piquet crashed into the back of a car and had his helmet cracked by the tyre of the car he hit. Somehow he had no injuries. Other cars were crushing out left, right and centre. Then Senna spun, giving us one of Murray Walker's best comments ever. He yelled, spin, spin, spin! It was hilarious. Senna rejoined but eventually rammed up the back of Martin Brundle and came around out of the spray with only three wheels. And again, Murray spoke a classic, like Jaws, as he hit Brundle. So, Prost was confirmed as world champ, while other drivers were crashing, spinning, limping and sulking, but not the Williams-Renault drivers. Fatiri Bootson pulled out another Canada result and won magnificently in the wet with Patrese third, with the Benetton driver Alessandro Nanini second. But 
the story of the race was Satoru Nakajima setting fastest lap in the Lotus Judd and coming fourth and making those of us who stayed or were not passed out drunk cheer our heads off and we became Nakajap fans that day. What a weekend. I was soaked, but I had a blast. What a fantastic memory. Wow, thank you so much, Lucien. That was very, very interesting. In fact, I was barely a few months old when this race was held in Adelaide. Yeah, that's a simple math to guess how old Mithila is. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but can you imagine the chaos when only eight drivers finish a race and uh, only the top four are on the lead lap? And the greats of the sport in those years and in that era, all of them crash in that particular race, right? Unbelievable. Yeah, so thanks, Lucien, for, you know, rem- reminding us of the classic race. And uh, like Formula One, we love bringing to you reviews of, you know, the races from the yesteryears on our channel as well. Look out for more of them in the coming weeks. Uh, by the way, it's been 26 years since the ill-fated Grand Prix at Imola. Yes. Well, that's when we lost Ayrton Senna and Roland Ratzenberger. And one of our listeners, Aniket, he has drawn a beautiful portrait of Ayrton Senna using a pencil. Uh, It was, you know, as a tribute to Senna. And you guys are welcome to check out Aniket's uh, uh, portrait on our Facebook page. It is fantastic. Thank you, Aniket. Very, very talented, uh, Aniket. Uh, Okay, and final point. So, Daniel Ricciardo has been attempting Parker. Uh, Kimi Raikkonen has been uh, jumping about on the trampoline and Danny Kivat has been playing the guitar. I'm, I'm curious to know what is every single of our listener up to in this lockdown, in this period of self-isolation or quarantine. Guys, reach out to us. Let us know. I mean, uh, I, I feel like I'm Roman Grosjean. You know, I'm, I'm uh, sharpening my culin- culinary skills you know, every single day, every single meal I cook and it's a lot of fun. I feel like uh, Charles the Clerk because he's been making a lot of pasta and so have I. Yeah. I it mean... feels like every time I tune into his feed, he's like mentioning pasta, what, three, four, five times? Yeah. I think we need to just go remind him that Ferrari, they're already impressed with his talent and they, you know, they don't need him to go around saying pasta, pasta, pasta. Also, Charles... Uh, pasta isn't the only Italian dish, if I need to remind you. <laughs> I love pizza. But guys, let's remember, Liberty Media is working hard to bring us races in 2020. So we just have to be a little more patient through this long, long, long off season. Yeah, and in fact, it might not be till mid-June uh, uh, you know, that we hear of Formula 1 confirming the 2020 Austrian Grand Prix, if at all. So... Literally be patient. It's at least, you know, six, seven weeks in my view till such time we hear something. Uh, Hang in there. And uh, if it helps, let's remember that whenever someone refers to the longest ever off-season in Formula One's, you know, recent history, we can proudly say that we were there and we survived it in every way together. Well said. Adios. Adios, guys. Thank you.